What's up, Grace Hills? Good to be with you all. What's up, Grace Hills? Good to be with y'all. What's going on? We got to get awake, y'all. You walk in here, and the, the first person that you greet, our, our act of worship begins. We worship in God's people by being friendly, by being joyous. We get up here, we sing like that, and we worship, right? Amen? All right, now, y'all got to talk to me this morning now. Now we worship in the Word. We worship in the Word. This is God's Word. It is real, it is alive, it's impactful, and it will wreck you if you let it. Am I right? Now, y'all need some feedback this morning, for real, y'all. Believe, follow, receive, repeat. I had a conversation with Josh. We gave him a Sunday off. That brother needs a vacation, right? We gave him a vacation. He may or may not be watching online. If he is, oh, man, hang on. I know Jared's on his way back from vacation. Like, I'm kind of in charge this morning. We may just close the iPad and go off script. Happy anniversary to the Let's. 17 years today. 18 years today. Big deal. And Jared's not here. Man, we got we to gotta get him here. Hey, um, I met with these guys a couple weeks ago, and we talked about these next couple weeks of sermon series. Here was a question that, that they shared with me. They said, Mike, I want you to share on what is the thing in the faith that has impacted you the most? What is one of those moments in the faith, in the word, that when you uncovered it or understood it, you just believed and lived a little bit differently? And I said, okay, that's, that's a good one. And I said, I feel like I, over the last two years when I've shared with this church, I talk about evangelism and discipleship and multiplication and reproduction because I care so much about that. It's really all that I think about, to be honest with you. And so I didn't want to lay that on you again today because I've done it so many times. But even as I walk through this talk today, guess what? It comes out. Because I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop talking about it. But today, uh, I want to talk about forgiveness and I want to talk about love. Because those two things really wrecked me. And so, this idea of believing in our heart and in our mind, following with our hands and with our feet, receiving that truth, and then actually going to give it away and repeat it. And following that, those four words, the entirety of our life, as we, if we call ourselves a Christ follower. Is that fair? And so, a um, guy that mentored me, a guy named Soup Campbell. I bet some of you all know Soup. Soup's from Memphis. He's from the 901. He's been involved. He's poured in my life for a bunch of years. And I'm doing a lot of work with him right now up at Kids Across America, just talking with urban leaders every week. And, and I'm spending time with Soup, and I heard him preach last week, and he told this group of about 150 before I got up. He said, listen, when Jesus preached the messages to his disciples, he preached some of those messages 500 times before they got it. 500 times. So when I was thinking about today, um, I was revisiting something that I have shared here a couple years ago almost, and I thought, you know, there is something in that that I want to share again, because it's impactful, because when I come to this church, and I have it in my notes, I'm already off script, healthy churches have humble leadership. Healthy churches have humble leadership, healthy churches are full of generous servants, you all, and healthy churches know why they exist, and they exist to make disciples and make Jesus famous, Amen. That's what a healthy church is about. And that's why I like being invited to this place. Because I've walked with these guys and gals, and I love the leadership and I love the health that's here. I mean, you all know. You've been coming here for a bit now, and you're here because there's something unique about this place. And so I thought it would be appropriate to kind of 
revisit some things we talked about a couple years ago. So let's just jump in. 1 John 3, you see it on there, 14 verses, 11 through 24. I'm going to walk through each little segment of Scripture, give you a couple little nuggets, I hope. And then at the end of this thing, you're going to see four little bullets. You can take pictures of it. You can, you can write it down. But I hope that it will impact you. Why was this book written? Why did First John, or why did John, rather, write this book? This book was written about 100 years post-Jesus. Jesus had uh, been crucified on the cross. He ascended. And 100 years later, now the church is going. But in Ephesus, John, and not the Apostle John, different John, his people began to, began to lose their way. They got distracted. In fact, John wrote this letter because what had once become clear to the people had now become cloudy. Does that feel appropriate for us today? How many times has God delivered or rescued you from something? You're keenly aware of who he is, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you just get cloudy. You forget what you've been delivered from. You get a little apathetic, you get a little lazy, you get a little cultural bias. Next thing you know, you're just you're chasing a rabbit and you don't even feel like yourself. And that's what's happening with these people in this day. And John says, uh-uh, I have three letters I want to write. John 1, John 2, John 3. There's some heresy taking place in our culture, in his culture. And he says, I want to write a letter and I want to remind you whose you are and who you belong to and what you've been called to and what you're called to not be. And that's what's happening in these, in these three chapters. This is not complicated. I have this multiple times in my note. This, this stuff is uh, it's a bit uncomfortable, but it's not complicated. It's going to call you to something this morning. God's word will call you to something because it wrecked me as I walked through it again. Back in the day, you got sailors. They would say, hey, we got to follow the North Star. We don't want to lose our bearings. We need a waypoint. We need a wayfinder. We need somewhere to direct us. This group of people, much like our people today in 2023, we've lost our waypoint a little bit. And so what's the North Star? And that's all that John is going to do in these 14 verses today is remind them of their waypoint. What does it look like to be in the family of Jesus? And oh, by the way, what does it look like to not be in the family? And where do you see yourself in that? I love the chapter before, and this ties in really well for next week, what Jared's going to talk about. In the chapter earlier, it's all about identity and freedom in Christ. That when you recognize who it is that you belong to, it should change the way you live today. Amen? And what we find earlier in John and what we know is that we have an identity in Christ. Whether you believe it or feel it or receive it this morning, you have to hear what I'm about to tell you. You are part of a royal bloodline. Amen? We are priests and priestesses. We are princes and princesses to the king. Y'all hear that? There's no greater title. And when you can embrace that and live that, it changes the way you do life every day. And so we have got to grasp our identity. And we know, and you all know, that these people in this day, 100 years post-Jesus, they had forgotten. We're 2,000 years post-Jesus. Have we forgotten? Yeah, we have. All right. What does it look like? What does it look like? John's writing this to the culture. 
He's given us these 14 verses that you've heard probably a thousand times. You've heard the theme of this at least a thousand times. And that is that we are called to love. And so that may sound simple because that's what we talk about when we're in church. We talk about love, right? That's what we do. But I'm going to present it to you, I hope, today in a way that will it'll impact a couple things, all right? Let's pray. We need the Lord to join in. Um, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're here, and I thank you that you're present, and I thank you that your word provides instruction. I thank you that your spirit provides instruction. I thank you that our experience gives instruction and people give instruction, and that through prayer you give instruction and you guide and you're speaking to us. And I ask this morning, God, that your word would come alive. This little forgotten book that's tucked in the back of the New Testament, that it really would wreck us and it would challenge us and it would call this church, that it would call Grace Hills even to a newer level of reaching our community and reaching our neighbors and reaching the lost and even reaching those that know you that have forgotten you. Lord, would we be a church that would do that, that we would not get fat and lazy and rest on our history and rest on our attendance and rest on our generosity, but rather we would just make you famous and we would dedicate that to you, that this group of people, that when we leave here today, that we would be different because of your word. As much, this word is as true and as real and as living as it was thousands of years ago when it was written. And so we need you to move. Would we be that community of believers in your holy, holy, holy name that we pray? Amen. Amen. Verse 11. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? He murdered him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. His brother was able. And so here's what I want you to see. That this idea of love was not something that John just throws out a hundred years post-Jesus on the scene. But literally from the first year or two of humanity on this planet, from the beginning... From the earliest, from Genesis 4. There's 16 verses in Genesis 4 that tell the story of Cain and Abel. Abel was faithful. Abel was righteous. He wanted to live sacrificial. He wanted to give. He wanted to serve. He loved the Lord. And his brother looked at him and said, no. You all know that story, right? His brother said, nah, I have a little jealousy towards that. I have some envy towards that. And then what did he do? He killed him. But from the beginning, from the very beginning... Love was the command. It wasn't created in 2023 because all of a sudden we're more woke than we've ever been. 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago, this was the word. We cared for one another. We cared for our brothers and sisters, even those that looked differently. Three words. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. We love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know, you know, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Pretty strong language. So I'll just say this from the jump. Anybody in here shocked that as a follower of Christ, you're going to get roasted and lit up a little bit in culture? Is that news to anybody in here? Has that happened? Raise your hand. Has that happened? You have somebody look at you like you have two heads because of how you talk or how you live your life? That's like part of it. 
That's not a new thing. Now, it feels new, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's part of it. We look different. We should stand out. We are countercultural. I am. I need to be. The reality is that if some of us made our views known or public or uh, you, you posted about it or you, you know, and, I, and you see this all the time, I know you do because I see it all the time, we're going to have people that hit us up private and they'll slide in their DMs and they'll say, I don't like that. If people have my email, they always email me after a sermon. It's just part of it. Somebody always has an opinion about what I think or what I could have done better. And the reality is they do about you too. It's part of being a believer in this context and in this culture. And so I don't want to, I don't want to belabor that point because we feel it. We know it. It's everywhere. What I want to look at is verse 14 and 15. Because there's something spiritual here. There's something theological here. We know that we have been passed out of death. Look at it. We know that we've been passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Because we love, we do not have to live in death. That's the, that's the lesson in this. The next verse. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know, and I know, that that murderer has eternal life, has, has, that murder has eternal life abiding in him. No murderer has that. So, almost 20 times in these 14 verses, depending on the reference of the, the version you read, the, you find the word abide. That's an important word. So what does it mean to abide? This is big. What's it mean to abide? I, I, I thought about doing an illustration up here. If I poured uh, uh, water all over this stage, you'd think, what's he doing? Number one. But if I threw a bunch of paper towels and a sponge on that and I just sat there, what would happen after about 30 minutes? What would happen? Talk to me. It'd soak it up. To abide means to soak it up. To rest in. To lean into. To be nurtured by. To abide means I'm going to spend enough time with you that over the long haul I'm going to begin to look like you. I know that Jared and Lacey look more like each other today than they did on their third date 18, 19 years ago. You ever meet one of those couples that's been married 50 years? Man, those jokers look like each other after 50 years. They for sure finish each other's sentences after 50 years to the point where one of them just, sits, just gets quiet and lets the other one talk. That's what happens. They have abided with one another. They love one another. They lean into each other. They are nurtured by one another. And that's what we're called to do. But the reality is in the scripture, some are abiding in love and some are abiding in murder, i.e. sin. You're going to become what you behold. Test me on that one. You will become what you behold. Garbage in is garbage out. It's for sure true. All right. And we'll keep rolling. You will not be the same when you abide. What the scripture is saying here is do not live in sin. Is there repentance in your heart or are you sitting and soaking in your bad decisions? Some of us, we stay in an unloving posture because of some junk in our life, some bitterness some unforgiveness, some hurt. I think I talked about this last time. Some, some, some scars that we have on our body from some hurt, and some of those scars you can see, some you can't. I have a bunch of scars that you can see. I think I talked about that last time. 
I've got a big one right here from a pancreatic tumor. I've got five on this eye. I've got them all over my knees from a lot of years of playing sports. Like, I have scars you can see, but I have some scars you can't see. So do you. So where do I stay? Do I stay in that? See, I'm going to make sure I read this because I don't want to miss this one. We cannot live in our sin or our bitterness or our unforgiveness anymore because none of that reflects who he is. Because what's his passage say? That we abide in love, that we are not to abide in our sin. So I want you to hear these three things. I'm going to give you three little tips right here on forgiveness. Number one, we have to acknowledge that we have some sin. We have to acknowledge that somebody has hurt us. We can't ignore it. We can't stuff it away. We can't tuck it away because it's too painful to deal with. We have to acknowledge it. And then once we acknowledge it, we have to forgive. We either have to forgive somebody or go seek forgiveness. And then once you've done that, it's not enough to acknowledge and forget and ask forgiveness or seek forgiveness. At some point, you have to do this. Repent. Turn and walk away from what you just sought forgiveness from. You've got to acknowledge it. You have to seek forgiveness or give forgiveness, and you've got to turn away and repent. There is no shortcut around this. When I became a believer, which incidentally was 30 years ago this summer, I cannot believe that I was 20 years old. 30 years ago, after I became a believer, the very first verse that I was ever introduced to as a follower of Christ was Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ Jesus forgave you. I was a week old in the faith. I was a spiritual baby. But I was met with the foundation of Scripture, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. I had some people that I needed to forgive. And I had a lot of people that I needed to seek forgiveness from. And I could choose in that moment to do some business with the people that had hurt me, the people that had abused me, the people that had wrecked me. I could choose to do some business with that or I could choose to tuck it away and say, I'm good. And I could choose to seek out a few people that I needed to look in the face and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I hurt you. And I had to do that with so many men and women. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Why are you doing that? I said, I'm doing this because I'm called to do this, because I have to do this. That is the foundation for everything we're talking about this morning. Last week, or three weeks ago, rather, I had 40 leaders um, from just kind of urban America up in Branson at camp, and we were talking, and I was walking through some strategy and some leadership things in the, in the scripture, and we got to this point on forgiveness. And then our whole entire conversation stopped because it was one hour of people asking questions, theological questions on forgiveness. Because you can't do any business. A guy raised his hand, and he said, hey, man, I just found out three weeks ago that my dad has passed away. And in that three weeks, I found out that my dad had been in prison for the last 20 years, and I didn't know where he was at. And then I just found out when the prison called me and told me that he had passed away. I'm angry. I don't want to forgive. That was what we talked about. Without forgiveness, everything I'm talking about this morning, is, it's a, there's a bottleneck. It is. You may not want to hear it, but it's true. we got to do some business in some areas of our life. I think I've shared this story with you a bunch. My dad sent me a letter when I was 12 saying he never wanted to see me again. That's not a good letter to get, right? i got to work through some things, don't I? Now, I could harbor that, or I could deal with it. 
and it could motivate me to be the best doggone dad and husband that I could ever be, or at least attempt to. All right, let's keep, keep rolling. Verse 16, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is the proof. This is it. This is how we are identified. This is what makes us stand out. This is not done without some level of thought or some level of reaction. It is time for us as a church, as a community, to live it out and walk it out and just stop talking about it. We can't just talk about this stuff anymore. It's too valuable. And if you really believe and recognize what you were delivered from from the cross, you'll want to do this. As a church, we want to do this. I want to stand out. I'm not here to waste my life. Are you? We cannot ever get, I'm going to say it one more time, get to this place of love unless we first get to this place of understanding, forgiveness, and living it out. There is no way as a follower of Christ that I can celebrate or condone sin. But I absolutely will love God's creation. And I will love his people. But I can't condone sin, and I don't want you to condone mine. And I will not condone yours. But I can love you. And I hope that as a people, as a church, that we might invite a few people into our life that live and think differently than us. So we can be some glimpse of this good news, some glimpse of love, some glimpse of the gospel. Amen? But I can't condone it. I'm on a mission, and you're on a mission. I'm on a mission to make Jesus famous because he saved me. I'm on a mission that the world knows who is, what his name is, and it doesn't matter whether I do that overseas, in my office, managing some sales desk, in the layout center, in a coffee shop, up here from the pulpit, whatever I do. We are on mission, and I've said this. It doesn't matter what your W-2 says. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter where zip code you live in. What matters is what you do while you're there. That's what we're called to. Y'all need to amen, amen this stuff, y'all. This is what we're called to. And I know it's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It starts from a heart of forgiveness and understanding. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and it will reassure our heart before him. And whenever our heart condemns us, and it will, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have some confidence before God. What does that mean? It means that if we are living a right, loving lifestyle, then we're going to have some confidence before our Heavenly Father that we're on the right track. But even when we do that, what's the scripture say? It says that there's going to be some elements of doubt. Why? Because my heart is sideways, y'all. And sometimes I wonder, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Or am I just straight up wicked? Am I ever going to figure this out? And what the scripture is saying that God knows my heart. 
And I can have confidence before that. He's greater than my heart. I just want to sit in that for just for a moment because some of us in this room, depending on your personality, there's some of you in this room where faith might come really easy, and there's others of you in this room where faith is a challenge. Some of y'all don't ever wrestle with doubt, and some of you, doubt is a part of your every single living moment. Why does God do this? Why does God do that? Why do bad things happen to me all the time? Why do bad things happen to good people? Am I ever going to get a break? When is God going to let up? I cannot believe it. I, I have this distinct memory of a, a number of years ago sitting on exit 23 in Charlotte, North Carolina, getting ready to pull into a Target store, thinking out loud, saying this out loud, God, I'm not sure any of this is real. I've dedicated my life to this, and I'm just not sure I believe it. And I had to wrestle through that. I've had one of those weeks this week, to be honest. I'm just going to be real. I've had that week this week. I lost my dad a year ago. My mom was diagnosed with lung cancer about a month ago. She had lung cancer surgery on Thursday, three days ago. It was supposed to go easy. I've been in the hospital every day until midnight up until last night. My wife's there right now. I've had, in the middle of this hard, hard week, about 13 hours of sleep, preparing for this, getting in the Word, trying to believe all that this is true in the midst of having like one of the most exhausting weeks that I've had in a bit. For sure, one of the most exhausting 72 hours that I've had in a bit. Wondering, my goodness, we were all good before Thursday. Now we're facing this? Like things, we're struggling. I'm struggling. You're struggling. But I'm struggling, but look what the Word says. When our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Amen? And he knows everything. Come on. Verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And we do what pleases him. And then, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That word abide, right? That spirit is sitting inside of me right now and you right now abiding Soaking it up, living in you, nurturing you, getting to know you. You're getting to know the Spirit. It's providing direction. It's providing clarity. It's lifting you up when you feel low. It's providing sleep when you're exhausted. That's what the Spirit does. We see it right here. Whatever we ask, we receive. Because we do His commandments and it pleases Him. And so we come back to that title slide, and it's not going to be up there yet, but we believe, and we follow, and we receive, and we repeat. We believe, and we follow, and we receive, and we repeat, knowing that we abide above all. Abiding is everything. And I see in that scripture, and boy, I'm glad for this, love does not happen on our own, but with the Spirit as our hope and strength. Because I have nothing left this week, y'all, of my own strength. Like nothing. I'm up here right now because the Lord is doing something, not because I'm doing a thing. Because I'm wiped out, and you're wiped out. You had a week like I did, I bet. I know some of y'all did. I know you did. The Spirit abiding, leaning into us, staying present. All right, I want to share something. I want to share these four truths now. Four nuggets right here. Number one, we don't get to opt out. We don't get to opt out on this. we got to love everybody. 
not just the easy one. It is the central theme of the New Testament. Leviticus, Genesis, Revelation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John. This is why this is important, and I did say this last time, and I'm going to say it again. There are some of you in this room. This, I'm going to challenge you all now. Some of you all in this room say, listen, um, I'm an introvert. Man, I don't care if you're a introverted, non-feeler, intuitive, whatever. You could be an ENFJ, INTJ, Myers-Briggs, uh, Enneagram 8, which are hard, Enneagram 7, the 2s and 9s for y'all is easy, but what if you're a lion or a, not a bear or not a golden retriever? Whatever your Berkman is, your Myers-Briggs or whatever it is, this is not optional. We are called regardless of our personality. And that's why you don't have to do it from up here, but maybe you do it from where you're at. Whatever space you find yourself in. You may not be the person that's going to stand up and talk about it to a group of 150 people. And that's okay. I don't like doing that either. I never thought I'd be doing this. But for whatever reason, God has placed us here to do this. We can't opt out because we are representatives of the king. You're a prince. You're a princess. Come on now. That is what we're called to do. We can't opt out. The, the mark of a follower of Jesus, the, my, the mark of a disciple maker is how well we love. That's it. That's it. First Peter, uh, verse 1, it's not on the screen, but hear this. This is 1 Peter 1, verse 22 through 23. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable one, through the living and abiding word of God. Abiding. So we're going to make it practical now. Don't do this yet. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. And in that 10 seconds, I want you to just have this tiny little conversation with the Lord. Lord, is there anybody in my life right now that needs a little bit more love from me? Now, I promise you, you ask that question, you're going to get a name. And you may try to convince yourself that you didn't hear the name that you just heard. But you're going to get a name. So let's do it right here. Ten seconds. Close your eyes if you need to. Look at me. Look at whatever you want. Lord, who needs to know today that I love them? Now, before you go to bed tonight, there's three ways you can do this. If you're really bold, you could call them. This may be somebody you live with, somebody that you brought into this world, maybe somebody that brought you into this world, maybe somebody that you work with. If you just want to kind of like slow play it a little bit, just test the waters, just fire off a text. And it's this easy. Hey, just want you to know, I was praying today, your name popped in my head. I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm out. That's it. Just a moment. Just a moment that would push you out of your comfort zone. And on their end, they're probably thinking, what in the world has happened to them? Hadn't heard from this brother in a long time. Or, golly, why didn't you just tell me? We've been eating dinner next to each other for the last 20 years. Like, who is it that needs to hear it? But it's a little test of what this is, is, is talking about. And that has nothing to do with your personality or whether you're a peacemaker or an achiever. You have some woo or a lion or bear, golden retriever, otter, whatever. This is child of God stuff, okay? 
Let's keep rolling. You want to know that you know that you know? Number two, you want to know that you know that you know? Then love everyone. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Two big ideas in this passage. That we're going to face some level of persecution or torture. That there's going to be a cost. But I'm just telling you all, I don't know, I bet most of you have been out of 72712 before. Um, We feel like in the States that we face persecution. Y'all, we don't face anything. We think we're being persecuted because we have to use somebody's correct pronoun. We think we get persecuted because somebody looks at us crazy because we pray in Chick-fil-A. That's not persecution. Persecution is when you're worshiping on the other side of the planet and you have to close your windows for fear that if they hear you worshiping in your room, they will come up and they will execute you and take you out into, and arrest you. Persecution is when your face ends up on a website saying, hey, if I ever see you again in our area, we'll kill you. That's persecution. We don't face that in Bentonville, Arkansas. Y'all, we live in a snow globe around here, okay? We live in a snow globe. This is an easy place and a good place to live. The world doesn't look at us that differently. We're kind of in the Bible belt, at least in, we might even be in the belt buckle. We're in the middle of it. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Matthew 22. Is it this easy? Here's the question. Um, is it really this easy like the scripture says? Matthew 22 says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe it is as easy as that. That we just love. And in that, we get to make Jesus famous. We get to talk about the gospel. We get to talk about the standard. We get to talk about the rules, if you want to call it it that, the guidelines that he's calling us to. There's a way that we've been called to live and act. And you might be saying, hey, uh, hey, pastor, that sounds like work. You're telling me I've got to do something. And I'm telling you, you get to do something. I'm not telling you you have to do something. I'm telling you that because of the work on the cross, you have the privilege of getting to do something. Do you actually think, do I actually think that God needs me to do any of this? He's inviting me in because I'm his child. And it's kind of cool when your dad asks you to help, isn't it? And I know, man, as as a dad with four kids, I have those moments on a Saturday. Let's just be real. Like, I want to get something done fast, but my sons, when they were little, they'd roll out, hey, can I help you? I'm like, and it, in my flesh, I'm like, man, I probably could get this done in like a tenth of the time, but yes, you can help me. Don't you know that our Heavenly Father is the same way? He could get this stuff done in a tenth of the time, at 1% of the time, but he's like, no, you're my son, Mike. Why don't you come alongside? I'm going to give you a little blessing. And that's what he does. John Piper Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this John Piper quote, By grace you've been saved through faith, that it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Because we can get real confused. When I stand up here and tell you that you get to do something, you might be flip that back on me and say, Mike, you're telling me I have to do something. I'm saying, no, 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 no. 
I like what Piper says. He says, when Scripture says we're saved by faith, loving people is still in the equation. It just means that our faith in God's promises must be so real that the love it produces proves the reality of the faith. I believe in this so much that I'm not just going to sit on it and sit on my hands. I'm not going to sit idle. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to live it. And this is so true. I, I was kind of thinking through my own lens. Um, we all know that it's by grace that we've been saved. That's what Ephesians says right there. That it was a gift. There was nothing I could do to earn the gift. If I did something to earn it, what's the scripture say? If I did something to earn this gift, then what would I do about it? I'd brag about it, right? In our culture today, I'd probably tweet about it like crazy. Just make sure you all know what I'm doing. Um, I'd boast about it. I'd get a little prideful. I'd get a little arrogant. You would do the same because that's what we do with our little wicked hearts that we have. Because we're not totally glorified yet. We're in the sanctification process. So that means we still go sideways from now, now and then. But we are called to this grace by faith. But it's a get to. It's a get to. It's a get to. Everybody in this room, at some point, you're either on your way there or you've already been there. You're, you will come to this moment in your journey where you will be at the foot of the cross. And I can look around this room and you can look up here at me. And there is not one of us in this room that is a different level in front of the cross. Every person in this room, we are busted, broken on our hands and knees at the foot of the cross. We are equals. Everybody in this room. And every one of us have been invited into that royal priesthood that I talked about in the very beginning. All right. Number three. We got to do something because action breeds confidence before the Creator. Love everyone, not just the easy ones. Verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we can have some confidence before God. Amen. I love that. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. In verse 16 and 17, there are three words in there. And these three words are indicative of you, and I hope they're indicative of this church. And that is sacrifice, help, and generosity. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Sacrifice. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Helps. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, generosity, yet closes his heart against him, how does God, God's love abide in him? That we would be a people that if God's love and spirit is flowing through this place, that we would be a people and a church and a community that, that would demonstrate, that it would be, it would be evident in your checking account, it'd be evident in your calendar, it'd be evident in your living room, it'd be evident at your workplace that you would live and be called to something differently, to di different. I spend like a ton of my time in coffee shops just like having these conversations with people and then I get invited to kind of go talk about it to other, other groups and people. And I'm telling you, this is on the heart of God's people. You just have to ask. Like somebody would talk to you about this. It's a hard conversation to have, but people want to talk about this stuff, man. How do I love God? How do I look differently? 
how do I love God and look differently and hold to a standard in this current culture in 2023? How do we navigate some of the things that are coming at us culturally now that feel like they're just off the charts as a follower of Christ? How would Jesus have navigated? Those are the conversations that people want to have. And sometimes we look at each other and like, I don't know, man. Maybe we just need to pray this thing up and see if, what God could do. I do know this. I know that I'm called to live differently. I know that that's the standard. I know, like I said earlier, that the mark of a disciple, a disciple-making follower of Jesus is whether or not we love our neighbors. And verse 19 through 22 should bring some comfort. There's confidence there, and there's confidence in the fact that God knows our heart. Even when I'm struggling, even when I'm wrestling, even when I'm weary, even when I'm broken, even when I have nothing left to give, God knows our heart. And the final four point here is that we should believe and we should obey. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and we love one another just as he has commanded us. That we would believe and obey. That whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. I've talked about that word a bunch today. That we would abide that we would rest in, that we'd be nurtured by, that we would sit and soak, that we would lean in so much that we begin to look a little bit like him. And this, and by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There's four uh, principles here. You'll see them on the slide once again. Believe, follow, receive, and repeat. That you would believe in your head and your heart and that you would follow with your feet and your hands and that you'd receive it and that you would take it in when you receive it and you would soak in it and reflect on it and then you would go give it away. You'd go repeat it. You'd go give it away. Not because you have to, but because you get to. That is, I think, the greatest privilege of being rescued off of uh, the life that I deserved. That is the gospel. That is what the cross came to do, that we would love one another, even those that are different, even those that look different than me, even those that think different than me. Two questions. Do you believe? Will you obey? I hope that the Spirit is working enough that when you see 1 John 3, 11 through 24, you know that you were called to love, that you can't opt out that you need to know that you know, and that action breeds confidence, and part of that is believing and obeying. And then the next question for us is, will you obey? I love uh, Henry Blackaby's study, Experiencing God, which feels like it's 30, 40 years old at this point. But in one of his chapters, five or six, he talks about obedience. And he says that delayed obedience is still disobedience. It's pretty good. Delayed obedience is still disobedience because when the spirit speaks and and I, I I prayed that this morning that he speaks through experience and people and the word and through his spirit that when the spirit speaks to you now's the time to act so if you leave here today and the spirit's saying yeah there might have been something on point three or something there in verse 16 that kind of messed with me a little bit you don't have to go home and like begin a negotiation it's not a line review y'all you go out there and I can say that because I've been in that space the Lord speaks, and we step forward in obedience, and we believe. And so there's this day coming, this final slide. You'll see you got the four points up there again. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. 
We don't opt out. We want to know that we know. We've got to do something. We've got to believe and obey. There's this moment coming. I love, this is my last slide, Revelation 7-9. There's this moment coming where we have the greatest worship experience that will ever be known to man. And it hasn't occurred yet, but it's coming. After this, I looked, and behold, there's this great multitude, and nobody can number it. Every nation, all tribes, all people, all languages, were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Man, you better believe these folks were about to worship. And we are called to do our part in making sure that party is as big a party that's ever taken place. That's what we're called to do. Folks that don't look like you, don't talk like you, some of them don't even think like you at the moment. But perhaps you are the one that's going to introduce them to this Jesus that we've been talking about this morning. So I said it at the beginning, it's not complicated, but it does make you a little uncomfortable. And I'm okay with it because my Jesus is worth a little discomfort. Amen? And your Jesus is worth that. Let me pray for us. I thank you, Lord, that you are in this place. And I thank you that you are present and you care. That you give us some strength when we do not have any of our own to give. That you sustain. That you walk us through hard times. I thank you for... uh, this group of people in front of me and that are online that, that uh, we're here because we want to learn we're here because we don't want to be content we want to be more like you I pray that we would never forget what we've been delivered from that we would never forget what we've been called to that we would live it out, that there would be something that sets us apart in our life. Shame on us if we look like everybody else. I pray that you would release people from believing they have to be a certain way or look a certain way to do what we've talked about this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would give us confidence to stand firm in a, in a tough culture right now. Have tough conversations but to be able to do so in love, clinging to the truth and the hope of Jesus and the gospel. Our Jesus is different. You're different. And I pray that we could be different. And Father, I don't want to waste these opportunities and these moments. And I don't want to look back on my life and wish that I would have said or done this. And would you help me personally not to be content just living in my garbage and to walk free? pray for every family in here, every person in here, every young person in this room. Man, to be a student in today's culture, that is, that is some tough stuff. And so I pray there's some safe spaces for our young people, our students in this room, our middle school and high school students to be able to talk and communicate and have honest conversations that as parents we wouldn't freak out when we have those honest conversations. We'd be rejoicing and thankful that our kids want to talk to us about it. I know you rejoice, Lord, when we talk to you about those things. 
Thank you that we could worship in this city on this day. Thank you for the leadership of this church and the people in this church. Lord, would you pour out a blessing on Grace Hills that maybe they, they couldn't even imagine. Your, your word, Ephesians 3.20, man, God, if, if you could do immeasurably more than we could hope, about, hope for, think about, pray for, or imagine, what might you do? Would you do that in this place with this group of people right now? We'd look back on a moment like this and say, that's the day that God showed up. That's the day that got a hold of my heart, that God got a hold of my heart. That's the day that I began to love people a little bit differently. Lord, may we not compromise on truth, though. Grace and truth, grace and truth, but truth is part of the equation. Remember whose we are. We belong to you. In Jesus' name.